picking up good vibrations. She's giving me the excitations. I'm backing up Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, everybody. Welcome back to another edition of Positive Living Vibrations with myself, Sarah Troy, and my very unusual and extraordinary guest today, Magri. He's a local guy around the corner from where I live, and I live in a beautiful place called Pitt Meadows, flanked by mountains and rivers here in BC, Canada. Now, Scott has had rather an extraordinary life, and I think if you'd met him, Somewhere in his past, he might have been somebody you might want to have avoided. Had anger issues, had ADD, was addicted to oxycotton. He took a path that really many people can take if the path laid out before them. But somewhere along the line, he knew that this was not working for many, that he wanted to change his life. And he went to see a psychic. And from there, the journey changed. We're going to learn a little bit about his journey today. His book is called Less Crime, Games and Pain. He's been extremely honest in this book. He's laid out his entire path, the how, the why, the where it got him, the things that he's done that he's certainly not proud of. It took a lot of courage to write a book like this, because many people who tell their life story still like to sugarcoat it, and he's given it to you raw. They say never judge a book by its cover, but on this cover you're going to see two faces of Scott, one angry and mad, the way he lived his life, and one with a tear in his eye, the regret, but the understanding of why. We're all given paths to do in our lives, and now his path is taking on a totally different journey, and he's out there to help people understand that you can walk away from the crime, the games, and the pain. And he's going to share with us today a little bit on the how. Scott, welcome to the show. Great, thanks. Thanks for inviting me on. Now, you have an extraordinary life here, and your book is just filled with so much, and you've been so very, very honest. You had, you know, a tough upbringing. You know, a dad that, as a lot of fathers, you know, work or play, uh, you know, not terribly dutiful towards their families. A mother struggling to raise her children. You weren't the easiest of children, so it made it a little difficult for parents to raise you because of the ADD. And a lot of the time, I think you were completely and utterly neglected. And had you had more nurturing, you may have taken a different path. But your life started this way, didn't it? So can you give people a little bit of a background, you know, on your upbringing so they can get a little understanding from where you came yeah, it was uh, ADHD, which is uh, attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. So uh, not only could I sit still, but I couldn't focus. Uh, I was also bored with a lazy right eye, so that meant I was an easy target in uh, elementary school as being bullied. And that uh, started from grade one up to three. Um, and it got so bad that uh, my dad had put me into karate one summer because I failed grade three. So in the start of the next year of grade three, he gave me the green light to go to school and fight back. So uh, that's what happened. First day back, I kicked the guy in the face and blood all over the place. He had, and he ran away crying, and the other two ran with him. So then I stood up, and now I was the bully. Mm-hmm. But what was happening is, because of the ADHD, and I couldn't concentrate, the teachers, now you got a picture of this. She's, she's handing me my schoolwork, my test, 
and I didn't get any right. And you got some kids laughing, and you can hear them saying, Scott didn't get any right. Then I got to go to the uh, playground and get thrown around, get my glasses broken. They deliberately grab them and break them or just step on them or whatever. And then the bell would go, and I'd have to go to uh, gym class. Now, what happened there is the teachers would pick uh, captains, right? Mm-hmm. So I was the last kid picked, you know? So uh, having said all that, I didn't have any friends. So what I did is I needed a place to hide, to hide my pain from my mom. Um, so I dug a big hole in the back. I put plywood over it, covered it with dirt. So when I got home from school, I could just move one piece of plywood and I would crawl in there, and I'd, I'd sit there with my Tonka toys, and I'd cry wondering how I was going to get through the next day. I hid a lot of it from my mom, even though they know I was getting bullied, but they didn't know how much pain I had inside, and all this just built up more anger, right? So then I started to fight back, and then I became a bully myself. So uh, what happened then is um, I was sexually... My, actually, my mom and dad, the uh, relationship wasn't going too well, um, I only seen this once, but a nine-year-old only has to see it once. My dad and my mom were having an argument in the kitchen, and my dad was still with my mom around. And, uh, you know, my mom, she uh, she had a new job, and the boss there was nice-looking and money and a nice suit, and things, got, uh, things went a little wrong. So I guess that's what ended the relationship between my mom and my dad. And so uh, after seeing that, you know, I couldn't do nothing. There's my mom that could, you know, taught me how to color, how to tie my shoes, um, you know, read me books. And I, I had to read Richard's scary books because uh, I, I couldn't read or, pull or, or colors or tie my own shoes. And uh, when you read a child, Dr. Seuss books, the, the characters in there, you don't know what they are. Mm-hmm. So we went to a specialist, and, and he said, "Well, you got to get read him Richard Scary, so then he can get an idea of what the animals really are." So that just built up, uh, you know, a lot of anger in my life, right? And then once my dad got removed from the house, uh, I was hanging out with a friend of mine down uh, about two blocks down the road at a trailer park, and this man sexually assaulted me and, uh, a couple of times, and. Um, so all of these things just keep piling up on you, right? Yes, and of course, being you know becoming the bully, you know, and, you know, I don't think anybody wakes up and says I'm going to be the bully. You know, it comes from insecurity, and it comes from yeah. fear, and you know, if this having to become the bully to overcome being bullied is a, you know a huge um, assault that happens even today. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, later on, I'd love you back on the show with somebody else um, who is an advocate against bullying because I think. The two of you can bring a great deal to the table. Um, sure. But, you know, that kind of became your trend, didn't it? Because in order to hide who you were and what had happened to you, you quite essentially became that thug. Yeah, and I was the middle child, and my dad was busy with my older brother in the sports. My dad tried getting me into soccer and baseball. And, you know, i got to say, my dad was never... We got the belt a couple of times, like everybody did, so what? But he was never mean to us, never seen that at all. Mm-hmm. He just wasn't very loving, like I said. Uh, he told me he loved me when I was 21. So without doing that to your kid, you, you, you feel like you're, you're kicked to the curb a little bit. Um, and uh, for once I learned how to fight, I, uh, I was getting the attention. So when things didn't go my way, it, it got and I got all the attention, right? And then um, what happened was, you know, 21, 
now I'm selling cocaine and because of my background and I was so I could get so violent uh, I thought that, that was an easy job for me to make more money because I could go collect it yes and the biggest thing that I found out after reading uh, that book was when I'd be in the bar all drunk and, and beating guys up and throwing tables and chairs around screaming out of rage and who was next I had no idea why I did that my whole life but it was because I was last kid picked in PE class you know, yeah. it was like, there you go. Nobody next. That's right. I'm the last man standing. I didn't know out of everything that I've been through, but I think that was did the most damage. I mean, every child wants to be seen, you know, I mean, everybody wants to know we're here for a reason. We don't want to be, you know, obscure. And, uh, you know, uh, I have learning disabilities myself. So I, you know, I didn't get your kind of bullying. I got a different kind of bullying at school. Um, dragged into the garden where they dug a hole and tried to bury the weed because I couldn't do physical things uh, um, like they could. Kids can be horribly cruel. And, uh, you know, we're not, your dad gave you permission to kind of go and beat them up, which wasn't the answer because you just became the bully. And we have got to pay attention to our children on what we say and what we don't say to them because they're so vulnerable in their early years. And they need that security, especially when challenges come their way. Had your dad told you he loved you, which probably was a lot to do with his generation, they were not really hands-on or lovey-dovey to no. the wives, never mind to their kids. Um, mm-hmm. You know, had you had a you know teachers that understood, um, you know, it may have been different, but. Your path was chosen for you, but what was it along the line? And how long were you on this path before you realized you didn't like being on this path and where it was taking you? Well, you know, I'll just say one other thing. My parents did by going to the school, trying to say, what, what's going on? But you know, We're talking the 70s, eh? They didn't pay that much of attention no. to it, eh? And then my dad did go to the school to talk to the principal, and that conversation didn't go well. And my dad was asked not to come back to any of the schools in the district because he was frustrated. Yes. Why aren't you doing anything about my boy, right? So <clears throat> what happened was, jeez, uh, what do I, when I was eight, 43, um, you know, because of the criminal background and I uh, got into the marijuana growing and making lots of money and because that's, I've seen everybody else having all this neat stuff and I wanted it, right? But when you're sleeping beside a shotgun loaded, yeah. and even with your 10-year-old daughter in the bed with you, and it's just to the side right by your night table with bars on your doors, and you're prepared. If anybody came in to shoot them, I mean, that's not a very good life to live. No. You're always looking over my shoulder, and I knew, I knew everybody, and I could get my hands on whatever I needed. You know, I could run plate numbers and whatever just to find out who's following me. Just to, You always got to be one step ahead of everybody, right? And you're always looking over your shoulder, and it was terrible. And uh, what happened was I've had five suicide attempts in my life. Uh, and the third one, what happened was I um, I was right into my addiction oxycotton. So I was two days trying to stay clean, and you're not sleeping, the anxiety, the depression, everything. But I went out, and I had a few drinks, and I bought some cocaine. I brought it back, and uh, I, I freebased it to crack, and I smoked it until it was gone. Now I was really depressed. So I said, tonight's the night. So I grabbed, I just picked up my prescriptions. I had three bottles of pills. Uh, I took two pictures off the wall, dressed in my nice clothes, laid down in my bed. And I was crying at this point after downing all the pills. And I asked the big man upstairs, I'm not playing your game anymore. Get me out of here. Because I, I was 
couldn't take anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, I had a $12,000-a-month Oxycontin habit, you know? Yeah. But, uh, and, and a lifestyle so, having to maintain that, and, uh, you know, it's a very vicious cycle. Yeah. So, after taking all that medication, and then I went to the side, I remember looking at the clock, I could, something was happening, and I'm like, it's one in the morning, I can hear people, I can see things, but it was all black, I didn't know what was going on, and boom, that was it. And then I woke up at four in the morning, but what I seen was, if anybody goes and sees that movie, Heaven is for Real, and they watch mm-hmm. that movie, and they read that book, a year and a half ago that book came out. I wrote about a blonde girl that I seen in there with a blue dress and a blue bow on her back. Yeah. And I went to see that movie when it came out a few months ago. And that movie's about a little boy that went to the other side. And boom, there's the girl. The blonde girl, the blue dress and the blue bow. So, I mean, what does that tell you? And it was just a wake-up call for me. So I came back, had two more suicide attempts, realized, well... I'm obviously here for some other reason because I'm yes. good at the suicide. Game, right? <laughs> they <laughs> so don't want you over me. there. You've got something to do here. So, yeah, God, he's like, tried again. Let's you kick him back. <laughs> this isn't easy. <laughs> but no, so I started writing this book and you know, bought a computer. I don't like the computer because I'm hands-on. So I got somebody to set it up for me, and I started writing. And then I get all these chills running down from my spine all the way to my toes, like constantly energy vibes like every well, probably 10 15 seconds running through my body the whole time i was writing this thing but as i started writing it I, then it started to make sense to me so then i went to in town to see debbie and everybody knows who, you know um that's really spiritual knows who he is she's a psychic in town and i walked in there and she says well you finally figured it out mm-hmm. what you're supposed to do that you were put here to go through all this hell so you can write that book so you can send a message to the world, as well as uh, it's it's a book on what not to do. Yeah. And uh, on the back cover, after everything that I've been through in my life and what I wrote, I came up with Stop the Greed, because that's what's tearing this world apart. Yes. That's the message, you know? And it's no different. You know, people get messages all the time, but they're so blind, they, they, don't, uh, they don't see it, eh? But I was watching them, uh, another movie with a friend of mine. It was uh, Noah. And, uh, you know, he was no saint. He built a boat. He did. He got a message, right? And he did what he had to do. And then I started thinking, I'm going, well, you know what? I've, I'm no different. I'm not saying I'm him. I'm just saying that I got a message. I'm no saint. And I wrote this book. And I believe, according to Debbie, all my past lives, including building pyramids, being a gladiator that taught me how to fight, um, being a, in the criminal underground in 1890, 1910, she told me I was one of the guys I've already went to to get things, and she says, that's who you are today. Everybody came to me for stuff, mm-hmm. you know? So after writing that whole whole book out, I'm like, wow, yeah, this is all making sense. Yeah, so, I mean, that's the thing is we do repeat life patterns until we change those patterns. Um, that's right. You know, each lifetime we just get better at it, even though we, you know, we don't understand what are we doing, how can we do that so well, how do I understand this? It's because that imprint is is very much in there from past lives. It's just the same energy going on. Um, you know, and yes, you you had to live that hell. You know, I interview people. Some are lucky. They get a little breeze on the cheek and they know, okay, I need to change direction. And some people need the hatchet in the head. And you're the guy who had to have the hatchet in the head to understand <laughs> your life had to change. But, you know, the lesson isn't just about the crime or the bullying. This is a lesson to parents, you know, and the yeah. fact that if we don't nurture our children, 
if we're not there to pay attention to them and that, you know, children are going to get born with things like ADHD or, or autism or, you know, many other things, physical things. And that isn't, you know, to discard them, but it's, mm-hmm. you know, it takes a village to raise a child. And so ask your village to help you in raising your child if you have a child that is a little difficult for you. And, you know, that is the importance. When you look at where somebody is today, you generally can look back to the way they were brought up. And a great deal of it is neglect. Yeah, for sure it is. Um, society, like I, I do these gang talks now, and it's like, you know, I tell them you got to love your kid. You want your kid, when he leaves the house and he goes to somebody else's house, you don't want him to be saying, or her to be saying, oh, I'm, yeah, sure, I mean, my, kid, my parents don't care. Cause yeah. that's so much, right? Yes. So, um, you know, but it's society too. I mean, everybody yes. wants a big fancy house and a Lincoln Navigator, and they won't sell that to, to, to get something smaller so the mom can stay home like you know like that used to happen right yes the kids are all downstairs playing video games till they're 20 years old and you think one of them's going to pick up a shovel and go work at the construction site when they haven't even used a hammer in their life mm-hmm. you know you think all the kids i went to school with because pit meadows is, was well it is a farm town but not as much as it used to be but all those farmer kids i didn't hear about one ever screwing their life up you know why because they're before they went to school and did some chores then they went to school they had a value of life, yeah, value yeah. of participation, yes. And, uh, you know, people, I uh, was just up at the 7-Eleven about a month ago, and this girl, she could have been more than 18, pregnant, and the, and the guy was 18. Yeah, I think I might have some work next week. I'm like, man, you're having kids, and you don't even have your life together. That's another big problem, so now the kids suffer. Yes. So it, it's not just the parents tell your kids that you love them. It's it, this. It's, it's almost like everybody has to do that in order for it to work. It's just society's got out of control. It's just um, both the priorities have got wrong, haven't they? You know, it's terrible. as you said. You know, like a, a farmer kid will know before they go off to school, they have their chores. When they get back, they've got their chores. It's a hard life, but that's what puts the food on the table, and that's what gives them a sense of of purpose and character, and you yeah. know, a, a backbone. Um, you know, a, a kid that. Um, is given too much because that's what a lot of parents think. I'm going to give them a fancy home. They can go into any sport they want. Um, they can get anything they want, and I'm giving them everything they need. Wrong. You're not giving them a sense of character or appreciation or inner value, and you're not helping them discover what their own aptitudes are to the world. What's their contribution to the world? They become give me, give me children. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And you know what? Like, I, we all had paper in the day. Well, you don't, I don't think they even deliver the Vancouver Center Province to your door anymore. No. Like, you know, when you said, oh, the kid's got a paper route, but so much that kid is learning with the paper route. He's going on his bike in the pouring rain. Yeah. He's, he, he, he's, he's on time, teaches him to do that. He's got to go to each door. He's got to collect from everyone. He's got to learn to manage his money. He's got to count chains, bring it, you know, to give it back. And he's got to, and he's got to pay his, uh, pay the newspaper company at the end of the month, right? Yeah. So, you know, we're teaching them a lot. Yes. You know? And, uh, like, same as these video stores. It's all Netflix now. Those places used to give kids a place to work and learn how yeah. to make a buck, and they're out the window. Unfortunately, Besides, everything right? today has become very much about making people obsolete. But they yeah. need people to sustain what they've put all online. Um, but you know, if people can't afford to actually earn anything, how can they buy anything? So, um, yes, it's it's got completely out of whack. And as you say, greed 
Um, and this whole complete keeping up with the Joneses, uh, having more than the neighbor, even in your own world, you know, the criminal world there, you know, you, you had to become very territorial, very protective. Mm-hmm. And as you said, you know, the paranoia and the mistrust. Yeah. Where did you ever have a sense joy of life of just living without looking at someone and say, why are they looking at me that way? Mm-hmm. Well, it's funny you say that because uh, that's what I always used to say. When I got taught how to fight and fight back, now I was always looking at people. Why is that kid looking at me that yeah. way? Why is that? And you know what? I was just talking to somebody today. Um, I was just getting my hair cut. And she was saying, you know what, I'm, I'm going camping. I just can't wait. I'm so excited. And I, and I had to think about that. That hit me hard because I haven't been excited for anything in I don't know how long. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, I'm a single guy now. I've been through bad relationships, just terrible. And now, um, you know, money doesn't mean anything to me anymore. You know, if I had it, I'd help other people. I got like this slew uh, restoration project because that was a place I used to fish when I was bullied. As yes, well, you're gonna, Yeah, you know. So now I'm doing what I can to clean it up because it's full of shopping carts and oil. It's terrible, right? So, yeah, I, you know, because, uh, even though I'm doing all these good things, I wrote that book out there to help people, and I was so honest about it. I knew there'd be a possible of repercussions from some of the things that I wrote, but I was prepared to take those because if I didn't have those in there, it, it might have been that one extra thing in there that might help out somebody else. Exactly. So... I'm not a famous guy, and famous people do biographies, but, you know, they'll leave out half of it, right? As I say, sugarcoat it, and you've been very raw with this, and very, very open and explicit, and and you haven't heard anything back, you know, from the things that you've done, and, you know, some of the yes is ugly, Uh, but that's, Mm. you know, that's what kind of, it's the fact of where you are now, the fact that you accepted that redirection. They, yeah. You looked at that life. How many in the people were in that life that are dead today? We know yeah. here in BC, especially a few years ago, of how many gang wars, you know, due mm-hmm. to drugs, um, was happening where innocents, remember in Richmond, six people got killed and um, just being in the wrong place at the wrong time. And we know how violent it can be. You're out. You wrote a book that was open and candid as to how you got in and all the things that led you there, the signs, everything. Um, so other people can learn from this. You're rescuing Katsy Slough so that it becomes something that, that people can go to, a sanctuary, a place, a place of be- peace and beauty. And, you know, celebrate who you are today because you're a courageous person. Yeah, and, you know, again, I was having a discussion with a friend of mine the other night. Well, I've had it with him a, a, a few times. My friend Donald Waite, he's an older guy, about 70. He's been through a lot. He used to be an ex-RCMP officer. And I said, you know, Don, I like doing this stuff, help other people where I can. But it's starting to um, it's starting to wear only because I'm not happy inside, you know. Mm-hmm. Like what I want, I want a family. with uh, You meet a good girl with two two little kids, not just one, two, right? And people think, well, you're 46, what are you doing? I says, well, I, I missed out on a lot of it because I got had two stepchildren, one of my own, but I was so messed up on drugs yes. and booze and mm-hmm. I missed out on the Christmases, the Easters. I didn't want them to have their kids over or their friends over. And now that I lived all that, that, that house would be full of kids. Like, I would love it, right? Mm-hmm. So until I find that, there's going to be a big empty spot, you know. I, I I drove for the money, 
and look, look at all the stuff I got, look at all the nice dinners, and it was all wrong, right? You know, you want to come home and feel love. You want yes. that woman to, you know, I want yeah. that woman, when I come home, I'm the only guy, because I have past relationships, they're all cheaters. You know, you go away from them and come back and hear about just a horror show, and it's, you know, it's not good, right? I don't want that. I want a good girl, and, uh, you know, and that'll that'll help drive me to do, to, uh, not stick my projects. I mean, I'm going to go ahead with them. Nothing's going to stop me, right? Doors get slammed on my face. I just kick them in. But oh, I'm no. I'm looking for love, not not mine. And the love comes from within. You know, when you learn to truly love yourself, which is, you know, this book has been cathartic. It's been a release for you as well. You know, coming to terms to of who you were. You know, hence the cover on the, on the book. You know, the mm-hmm. the angry face. Uh, you're at the the tear stage. You know, crying for for missed opportunities. But again, how many people in that business never got to your age? You know, either in jail or dead. Um, and here you are at your age, 46 years young, with the opportunity to start again. And in finding love, that love first must be found within you, for you, and for your decision making and who you are today. And in that resonance, you will attract the love that you want. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you just gotta, uh, you wake up every day, like in uh, recovery, and it teach you, uh, tell you, one day at a time. It's um, just keep going ahead with uh, with my slew project. Is nothing that's that's my most important thing out there for me to do to accomplish. I'm not going to stop until I succeed. And uh, like today, I got a meeting with Hollywood Addictions, and they want to see how I can get into the school. Start talking to the kids. I love the idea, right? Cause yes. That's a messed up kid, or maybe the parents aren't at home and not their fault you know so i could be there for them to have somebody to talk to and i said i really you know want you to be uh, on a show with somebody else i do work with kids with bullying and uh, i know that i want the both of you back again on on a bullying show because uh you know people think bullying actually in is mostly i mean girls are horrible at bullying they're bitches and yeah. they are so utterly nasty and it's unbelievable you know with boys it gets physical you know, yeah. it becomes the physical thing there. And, uh, you know, we really, we need to recognize it. I mean, this, uh, you know, this guest that I had here, you know, he, he was uh, raped when he was six and bullied. And when he went home to tell his dad, his dad um, basically said to him, uh, well, you know, go deal with it. And so he had no support at Jeez. home. And if a child can't come home and have that nurturing and that, um, you know, support, from their, their own parent, if their own parent turns a blind eye to it, they're going to feel desperately alone. And, and that's where they turn to either, as you say, becoming the bully themselves or, you know, um, or um, committing suicide. And so many actually do succeed. So, you yeah. Fashil uh, Kataka, he's um, called the big dog and uh, he's an anti-bully speaker and I definitely would like the the two of you to come back on and speak that. Um you became the bully because you were bullied. You took the life of crime because bullying led to that. Um, you weren't really taught the the love and the value of self or family. Um, you had difficulties in school, so therefore education wasn't your thing. Um, and so it was so easy for you to fall into this world. Oh, and, yeah, for sure. But, you know, living in this world, even doing the things that you've done, your actions were bad, but it doesn't make you a bad person. 
especially is the fact that you recognize what was wrong and have now come out of it. Exactly. And, <coughs> excuse me, and like some prisoners, they're locked up for 15, 20 years for doing something stupid. Yeah. You know, and a lot of them wish they could take that back and write in my book. I mean, what a waste. Like that, you see that show, um, oh, they're taking the kids to the prisons that are down in the yeah. States and they're shaking them up. Like, Get 24 hours a lot there. Of good. Yeah. 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 You know, and they're just wasting their life sitting in the joint. And, uh, uh, well, learning to become not... bigger bullies, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, it's, it could have been a lot worse. I mean, uh, the end of things, it took, uh, you know, 40, 40 years for me to smarten up. But at the, at the end of it, uh, you know, I'm doing some good here. So there was some light there at the end of the tunnel. And, you know, for you, it's, it's, it's um, you know, you, you met the psychic uh, who really helped you kind of understand that, you know, you have a purpose and that everything that you're doing here is, you know, um, the book, you know, now becomes that manual people, you know, like, where did I go wrong as a parent? Or, you know, why is my child going down this path? And, you know, your book... It gives that, you know, um, some reasons there are how a child can go that way. And, you know, the recognizing, I mean, the hardest thing I think would be is somebody in it for them to recognize the path that they're on and that they need to get out. So this really needs to get out to the people that are in the business. Yeah, um, for sure. Because I'm sure that when you're in that business, it is, uh, well, the only way out of this is, is in a coffin. Yeah. You know, they read something like that, say they're 16. Like, I'm thinking that book is is pretty graphic sometimes and pretty violent. Um, so I'd say 15, 16-year-old maybe be the earliest to read that. But uh, And then they read something like that, and then maybe at 20 they start making the decision that I did. And if they, they'll remember reading that going, this is exactly what he said was happening. And then there's my buddy just got shot, just like he said. So maybe yeah. I better not... Take that Why is path. that? Yeah. Well, yeah. And, you know, uh, like my mom, after uh, you know, my dad was removed, uh, she was working three jobs and uh, trying to feed three boys, and um, she was always there for us. So when I left the house and went to somebody's house and uh, something wasn't going right, uh, I left, you know, because I didn't, my, I could see my mom was struggling, and I didn't need to give her any more grief. But the only thing that caught me is now I'm 21, I'm working, I started partying, and everybody's got all these fancy boats and trucks and girls, and I'm like, my jug can't even keep up to these guys. I'm going to search coke, and that's what happened, right? Yeah. And again, it makes it sound so easy, but, you know, where is it an easy life? All right, you've got the great car, the fast cars, you know, house, the fast cars, uh, you know, you can get the boats, you can do this, but you're looking over your shoulder the whole time. You're always worried, you know, you don't want to be in the public eye because, you know, what if somebody knows you or follows you? You're always worried about security um, and retaliation because somewhere along the line, you're certainly going to be pissing people off. And uh, so it's not a life, is it? You know, there isn't any amount of money that kind of gives you the kind of life that really you thought you were buying into. Yeah, like right now, I you know, I still got my full-time job and the money that I make, I get through. I, I'm not complaining about it, right? But mm-hmm. when I was 21, I was. 
Yeah. Right? So, you know, when you're getting into that life and you're making the money and you're looking in your mirror and you say, oh, what's this car? And there's, oh, there's a ghost car following me or who are these guys in this vehicle? I mean, yeah, you got a lot of stress, but at the same time, it's an adrenaline rush. Yes. You know? You know, here I am, Tony Soprano. This is what this is what yeah. you think, you are, eh? You know, this is what everybody... And you know what? All those movies, like uh, Scarface and yeah. that, on, everybody loves those movies, right? So you get that adrenaline rush. Hey, I'm one of those guys. Just like I talk about that Grand Theft Auto game. Like I didn't know there was hookers and throwing them into the trunk and killing and blood everywhere. Till this girl up at the treatment center says, I caught my seven-year-old son playing that game. Got her, took it off the old man, right? I'm like, are you kidding me? I didn't know those games were that violent. I heard a bit about it, but nothing, nothing that graphic. So th- there's another thing you got to try to, you know, to, to get get out of not just the money, but you you really think you're important. You're somebody. Nobody can mess with you, and you really think that's how you should live your life because everybody looks at the world as just a bloody mess. The pol- politicians are all criminals. They're in the news every day, ripping off money left, right, and center. And you know what? That was a big thing when I got into crime and all this money. And well, the government's more crooks than we are. That was the excuse. Yes. So. And and you know you know in many ways too. So the bankers and you know you talk about the religious people that are meant to be people that you trust, uh, and you know are meant to go to in trust and in sanctuary, and very often they're the corruptors. And you know basically. It's hard to find that group of people that you could feel safe with, and everybody has that in their lives. But um, that is part of the journey. That's part of the journey that we have to take in life: is finding that that value within ourselves, our meaningful purpose. You know, living our lives with dignity and knowing who to trust and who to align with that is going to share your dreams in life and be there to help build that community with you. And that's part of growing up and taking that journey there there isn't any ever one association or one thing that says no you can go there and you'll be absolutely safe not in today's environment unfortunately no and you know when you get involved in the crime um you don't gradually get out of it you go from making like some i was making between 40 60 thousand bucks a month you know yeah. after paying all the workers and, and the mortgages and stuff and uh you know, you don't go off. Well, you know what? This doesn't feel right. Maybe I'll I'll get one on one grow show and I'll make uh, fifty or forty five thousand a month instead. Yeah, that ain't gonna happen. Uh-huh. Never will. Same as you ever coke dealing heroin or or whatever you're selling. Uh, maybe I'll just won't sell coke. I'll just make thirty grand a month instead. That ain't gonna happen either. Something drastic has to happen yes. in your life in order for a dealer or a criminal to to change his life. Rather, his car get riddled full of bullets, like a friend of mine did, and uh, that was enough for him, right? Yes, and he was lucky. He got to walk away, you know, not being carried away. Yeah, it was so, my my friend uh, that I do these talks with, that was his story, wearing a bulletproof vest, got riddled full of bullets, but he lived, he didn't, you know, vest saved his life. You know, and he had a dream about his, it was a really cool story of his uh, grandfather. He uh, he seen him in a dream, it was so real, and he told him to get his stuff together, and he slapped him in the face, and then he woke up. And two weeks later, he got riddled full of bullets. Mm. So he went, that's enough, right? And, and you, I mean, what, what was doing. your breaking point? What was you, and it was enough is enough? Well, I, uh, 
10.30 in the morning, I had my whole house surrounded. There's shotguns and handguns. It was like, holy mackerel, is there a war here? Yeah. You know, I, I, it's rude awakening. I, I hear the, the, the cops throw the siren on just a little bit, eh? And I'm, what? And I'm on, living on an acre. The whole place is fenced and gated because I wanted it that way because, you know, it would give me time if people were trying to break in, right? But, uh, yeah, I look up the kitchen window. I'm like, holy, they're just lined up on the fence. They're in the house. So, uh, yeah, they're all yelling at me, get out of the house. Uh, they didn't come to my door. I mean, I had guns registered to the house. So I'm there in a pair of shorts and a T-shirt, 1030 in the morning, crawling my hands and knees down the driveway. And they're all yelling, you know. So, you know, one slight move, you know. Yes. You've got a dozen guns pointed right at your head. Cuff me up, throw me in the back of the car. I Christ, I've been in there so many times. They usually let me ride in the front. Hey, <laughs> they toss me in the back. Hey, and they, I got to hand it to the RCMP. They did a great job. They didn't wreck none of my personal possessions, nothing. They went through my house because they took me away and brought me back an hour later. One of the officers put on the air conditioning for me. You're going to be all right. Yeah, so they were really good. So hands off to them or hats off to them. That was a big turning point right i i did a couple other things after that and then that was it wash my hands and i i just i go to work i don't uh have my hands in crime or drugs anymore or booze so good for good you riddance. good for you and you know like as i said it took you a few times to to try and die for you to realize the value of life and you know that's a, yeah. that's a big one you know because there's also a, an awful lot of people that it's just too easy to take their own lives or take somebody else's life. They're so far gone, you know, yeah. that it doesn't matter what happens. They're just think it's, you know, for them, it's too much work. As you said, you, you wrote this book, was it 14 times? Yeah, 14 copies to get it right, yeah. And, you know, you're not an author, you're not a writer. This is, wasn't a discipline for you and, uh, you know. And it became, you know, really difficult. But in doing that, not only was it cathartic, you know, not only are you, you know, saving other people's lives out there, not only are you really drawing to how easy it is to get sucked up into the crime, but it, it's become a way of you being able to release your past so you can embrace your present and your future. Um, it was quite essentially your death so that you could be reborn. Exactly. Yeah, I had to go to those dark places in order to, wake up smell the coffee and hey this is uh this is what i'm supposed to do here and what i'm doing is right and uh so now i'm on a straight and narrow and just doing what i can and you know some people are commenting what are you doing maggie are you trying to save the world you know because when you get they don't realize though because they haven't been there before mm-hmm. so they don't know how really i'm feeling or, or you know the spiritual uh, awakenings that i got in order to get a grasp on life in general and take a look at the world as a whole and how deteriorating it is and greedy and selfish and they just uh like now i throw a piece of garbage into the can and lands on the floor i go pick it up you know because what is it the janitor's fault to pick that up yeah. i did that right right so and it you're gets appreciating life now you're appreciating life now yeah and you know when i'm walking along that slough and doing my little engineering there and mm-hmm. And when I was on afternoon shift, I'm like, I didn't want to leave and go to work. I wanted to do this kind of stuff. It's interesting. It's, uh, you know, let's face it, we're all supposed to be out in the wilderness. You know, we're not in Mother Nature. We're not supposed to be around buildings, houses, and cars. We weren't made to do that, right? Mm. 
I couldn't believe on the news there a few months ago. They're going, yeah, they're finding out that people actually go camping when they come back. They got a clear head. Well, no kidding, because that's where we're supposed to be around. Yes. Not the stress. Yes. And actually, it's a wonderful form of meditation. Just go, you know, amongst nature for there for a while. And no, I mean, in your new birth here now, obviously you're meant to, you're meant to distance your emotions to your past. You know, not relive it, but in telling it, it's even if it's one life at a time, if it's one life that you redirect, one parent that has a better understanding of how to redirect their child before they get caught up in it, one child that thought that this was a glorious life is now truly looking at it. You know, when you get out there and you start lecturing at the schools, in many, many ways, you're so much more viable because you were the criminal. You were yeah. the drug dealer. You were an addict. And here you are today saying, don't do it. Don't do it. Yeah. It's not worth it because it cost me my soul, my heart. And that's what you're on a journey for now is to find, you know, ignite that heart again and to live your soul's journey. And you're the lucky one. You really are a lucky one. Yeah. Pulled out of that nightmare, you know. When I say, you know, uh, when it's my time to go, and people are going, well, who says you're going to heaven? <laughs> you know, I says, well, I've been to hell and back so many times I own half the place. It's got to be my turn sooner or later. Well, no, you lived in hell. I mean, you know, yeah. the heaven and hell is, is, is our choices in life. And you yeah. lived in hell all that time. Were you happy? You had all that money. Could you relax and enjoy it? Were you purposeful with it? No, you were so self-guarded and protective and then needing more. And as you said, you had a $12,000 a month mm-hmm. habit to, to control of. You were a prisoner of yeah, your own choice. Mo- yeah. Money just about killed me. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was my choice. But, you know, it's, you're making good money and you got a $12,000 a month habit. I didn't really notice I was spending that much. Yeah. You know. So, and, uh, and, you know, yeah. your was was Oxycontin. And probably yes, a few other things that you tried, but you know, let's let's bring it down a level of the people that drink. You know, how many alcoholics do we have out there that it's just, oh, I just have a few drinks to relax, and those yeah. drinks, you know, I have to have that drink to relax. I can't relax in any other way, or I'm just going to pop a tranquilizer, or I'm just going to pop a painkiller, I'm just going to pop a this, and it's it's abstaining from the work that we need to do to really resolve the issue. Yeah, and you know what, people, yeah, they get, the, if if you got a, I know it's hard for a lot of people to to uh, accept this, but if you got to smoke a joint, do some coke, drink a bottle of wine to feel good, then you got a problem in your life. Yeah. You know, you're supposed to be high on life, not on drugs, right? Yes. So, I mean, yeah, to be honest, I had a lot of good times partying hard, but uh, all my decisions are bad. You know, waking up. Cell and I'm just covered in blood because I just mutilated a few guys or even not fight with five police officers one night. I mean, that wasn't good. No. I got to go into court and I says, You can't put me in a court. I look like I've been in a war here. Well, you're not going home to change. Turn your shirt inside out. Yeah. You know? So, uh. Consequences. Yeah. You had to, you had to. Oh, yeah. You know, you had to pay yeah. attention to those consequences and that is what life is about. I mean, as I said, you're the lucky one. You came out, you've written a book, you've changed your, 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 um, direction in life you found 
and ignited your soul and listening to your soul's internet now and it's it's you know resonate with your heart and your passion and it's lifting your spirit into action and you're trusting your knowingness and you're living in that and realizing that's where your peace and your tranquility and your highest you know mm-hmm. living in that purpose and uh, but we are responsible for ourselves and life nobody else's things happen to us how we react to those things is our choice exactly yeah so um you know that book because it's really spiritual it, it's given a <laughs> so far people have been telling me it sure makes you think and i go yeah, yeah exactly like i had no idea until i started writing my whole life after what uh, debbie the psychic had told me i'm going oh, this is all just coming into play here this is all starting to make some sense right yes I mean, there's a eighth deadly sin not too many people know about. It's called Acidia, A-C-E-D-I-A. Look it up on the internet. Spiritual laziness and do yeah. not care. Yeah. Because nobody cares. The nobody lack of consciousness. In in this yeah. world. Yeah. You know? So, uh, yeah, and it's actually pushed to the side because it's the worst out of them all. I mean, like, for instance, I'm just talking to my friend last night, and this is how odd this is. I write about the Colosseum in Rome because, you know, I, I had a huge attraction to this Colosseum. So when I went to see Debbie, I said, why do I have a huge um, um, attraction to this uh, arena? And she, she flipped over the card that she was holding, and there was a Rome. He says, you fought in that era, but she couldn't tell me if I fought in there, in the Colosseum, but I definitely fought in that era, not to me how to fight, right? Yes. And I wrote, and I write in there that feels like it's my home. And uh, if I ever meet someone who got married, I says I'd, that would be the place I'd love to be married in. I'm like I'm asking too much. I'm just dreaming here. But then I look on the net because the guy works says, "Hey, you see they're cleaning the Coliseum," and I go, "What do you mean?" So the guy that owns Todd Shoe Company spent thirty-five million dollars cleaning the Coliseum. It's all full of scaffolding, and they're cleaning it with toothbrushes. And they want to get it back to ivory white. Now, what's the color of what? wedding ivory wedding uh-huh. so you know buddy's going yeah maybe they're cleaning it for you maybe they're cleaning it for some <laughs> other reason they don't and i'm like hey buddy don't go there i says i'm not god here i'm just trying to uh you know fix a oh, few but things you're part, of, you're part of god i mean that's the whole thing is this that when you choose to live in the light and not give in to the darkness you are a part of that equation you're a part of god's collective and you mm. know your whole way of thinking now is that you know i'm there now to make amends. I'm there to contribute to the world instead of take away from it. I'm there to find happiness within myself so I can exude happiness out to other people. I'm there to help them not go down the dark path of hell and trust the light and work for the light. You know, you're, you're living in that already. You're already li- living, you know, God's message. And you're doing it so far more authentically and truly by living in that consciousness that so many people are lacking. And that's awakened your soul and lifted your spirit and made your heart feel, you know, hungry for not just love of a person, but for love of life. You know, you already have raised your vibration and this vibration now will resonate with other people and inspire them to do what they need to do to lift theirs. Exactly, yeah. Look at the mouths in the mirror and think to themselves, what am I doing wrong? You know, if everybody was to do that and find something that's been wrong and make it right, this whole world would be a way better place. Well, the, the sheer thing of consciousness, 
Yeah, having a yeah. consciousness is that, you know, a lot of people, it is the time of a conscious awakening. And people are awakening to it and going, and, you, you know, you said you wrote this, uh, started writing this book in um, uh, 1212. You know, and that was yeah. the conscious awakening. And it's when people are waking up to things that they know are wrong and, uh, you know, and wanting to rectify things or stand up for things that they know are wrong instead of turning a blind eye. And, you know, that's so a big that, one right there. Yeah. But, you know, there isn't, it was a poster I saw today, a war on violence. Well, that's an oxymoron right there. Because what you're talking about is violence against violence. We know that mm-hmm. doesn't work. What we no. need to do is raise people's consciousness and educate them as to why what they're doing is wrong. Yeah. And you're doing that. You're doing that with your book. You're showing people that all those years of all that money, and how unhappy you were, and how yeah. violent you had to become to protect that unhappiness. Exactly. And, I, and you know now that it isn't about violence to bring peace. It no. is the peace within you that brings peace. That's right, yeah. So, yeah, there's, um, you know, friends of mine that show up at the house and go, holy mackerel, you're stressed out. My eyes are popping out of my skull because, you know, the... The phone never stopped ringing. Like, I worked 16-hour days, seven days a week. I had to to make that money. Uh-huh. I was building a house. I was looking up for five groceries or, like, you know, Surrey and Mission. You know, they're all over the place. So it was uh, after building the house, 5 o'clock into the truck till 10 o'clock every day, seven days a week. You were a slave. You know? So, uh, yeah. And now I drive an 86 Chrysler LeBaron, and my grandpa, I love him love him to death he went into a home he's 93 and he says oh well kid, I, i'm not going to drive anymore and uh, what a present that was because uh, as soon as he gave me that car two weeks later the bank came to the house repoed my truck and uh they ended up booting me out of the house uh, at the foreclose on that and lost lost everything so i actually sold the gates off the front of the property just to get money to get into this apartment <laughs> and there's another if you got time for it that spiritual another spiritual story with this eagle's feather do you want to hear that yes please okay well what happened so i i phoned this uh apartment building here in pit meadows and I'm looking for two better no we don't have any oh okay so uh that night at ten thirty, the phone rings hey scott yeah a guy at ten thirty just dropped the keys off of my desk and says i'm out of the apartment it's a two-bedroom you want it i'll take it <laughs> i couldn't find anywhere else to live i was going to be pushing a shopping cart because i had no money so I sold the gates off the front of the house, got 2500 bucks. boom, got into this apartment. Well, and uh, Alan said, yeah, it's all cleaned out, ready for you to come in. There's an either a flight uh, eagle's feather laying in, standing up right in the corner of the front door when it came in. I'm like, what's that for? So I throw it up on my moose rock that I got on my wall, above my TV, so a month goes by, I'm looking at it. I go, I'm going to go check the slough where I used to fish. So I go down there, and I kiss Pat, takes me to the slough, and I'm like, oh, man, I'm never going to find out where I fish this is destroyed so there's an eagle right above me 40 feet up and he's screaming you know that high pitch yes i go wow problem so i walk to the right going uh, down to the slough along the slough trying to find out where i want to fish and i just got confused like i'm not gonna find out where i fish this is all changed and it followed by every move screaming all the way and then when i came back it was doing the same right to the very spot that i first came to and i looked across and i could see a root ball, and I used to fish underneath this big cottonwood tree because it'd keep it all um, cool there, eh? And then uh, a little tea branch coming off of the slough, and I went, this is where I once fished. 
And with that uh, eagle screaming, I looked up and wham, everything hit me like a ton of bricks. I started tears rolling down my face. And uh, I figured it out. I go, man, he's telling me a message. I've got to fix this up here. Yeah. The feather led me to the eagle, led me to there, right? Led you, know? you to a purpose. Yeah. It gave me a safe place to fish, right? To yes. hang out, to think what, how I was going to get through the next day for years. Caught fish all day long out of there. There was salmon, cuts, a carp, you name it. It was full of fish. Now there's nothing in there. It's just destroyed. So going to hopefully bring it back to life. It's going to take a lot of work. And that's why I started this KCSU restoration project. And we got a website now. It's ksrp.ca. And you can check it out. There's a donate box up there to click. Um, and just because it's going to take a lot of funds to fix this up. Eh? But, you know, what you're giving is you're giving the community back a sanctuary. Um, exactly. and, and, you know, this, is, this could be for another child, you know, a safe haven to go to and but not only that while you're working in it and you're you're working in with nature as you say you go camping and it releases the stress while you're down there and you're doing that you know it becomes your form of meditation and your form of connection and you know something that feeds your soul feeds your very spirit well and it still does that when i walk down there just it's just the feeling eh it's mm-hmm. just uh, it's just so safe just so I'm a big thinker, and I don't sleep well, and my head doesn't rest, eh? So um, going down there and working on this project, it uh, it's like, yeah, exactly what you said. It's going to give a, uh, another troubled child a, a place to fish, just like it did me. And my native friend, Sam, he, he said, his dad always told him, what you take out of this world, you're supposed to put back, and we're yeah. not doing that. Look how messed yeah. up it is. Yes. So that's another thing what I'm going to do. You know, I'm going to bring back what I took out of that, and as well uh, is bring back some heritage to the KC First Nations. And there's a bond between me and them, and I was trying to put the pieces together. Um, I got a few friends down there that were talk- I was talking to, and one's a real spiritual one down there, and she says, there's a bond between the Natives and you, and she's trying to figure it out. But what I said was, when I was getting bullied, the guys down at the the Cates, who were the the guys that would always come running out, yelling, "Leave them alone!" They'd always stick up for me. Nobody else did. Yes. But they did, and they never bullied me. They're always there to to, to help me out. So now it's the slew and uh, bring back some heritage and a safe place. It's all going to be good in the end. Yes, and it's feeding you. It's feeding your very being. Mm-hmm. And you know, this exactly. is you know, people are so judgmental. You know, you know. Oh, he was a criminal. Just lock him up, you know, throw away the key. And we need to understand why people take this. Uh, you know, it isn't about just throwing people more and more in jail because A, they learn to become better criminals or, you know, become even bigger victims. Uh, we need to understand why people are taking this path and what we can do as a society, not just the parents, not just the schools, but, you know, the community and how we, instead of turning a blind eye, if we see a troubled child, you know, what are we going to do about it? It isn't about just calling the law and, you know, whacking them over the head or, you know, detaining them. It, it's about, very often, it is about the nurture. The child doesn't feel loved, doesn't feel valued, doesn't feel secure, because a secure child will not be a child that's going to go down that path. Yeah, they're not feeling too much of anything, but they sure know how to play a video game. I mean, these people are having their kids because the guy down the street or the down the street or having children it's yeah. the right thing to do 
not even thinking about uh, what's going to happen down the road. Here, they got the cute little kid and it's bouncing on my knee. Oh, look at this. Isn't this cute? Now it's 12, 13 and it's a pain in your ass. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, go downstairs and play video games. Well, and, you know, get through school in 18, 19. Now, hey, are you going to get some work? Are you going to find a job? They haven't learned a thing. Nope. Where are they going to work? What, they don't even know how to do anything. No. They don't even do no. chores around the house or anything. And they haven't got any respect for their parents. They mouth off their parents. They swear at them. And, uh, you know, I mean, I've, I've always said, you know, the one thing I could be extremely grateful for, I could always take my children anywhere and they would never let me down. You know, people have always liked my children because of who they are. And they might have given me hell at home. And believe me, I had, mm-hmm. you know, I've got some gray hair names on it. But, you know, yeah. <laughs> yeah, which, you know, that's, I think it's part of, you know, a child's thing is to, to grief to their parents. But um, they went through, you know, a divorce and changes themselves. And so it was their reaction to life. Uh, but I look at who they are today and I'm so proud of who they are. And the choices they've made, and you know the integrity that they live in, and uh, and and but they had to go make mistakes, uh, you know. For me, as a parent, I could say, yeah, I have every right to give you shit for for what you've just done. It was a stupid move. However, I am here for you, and together we're going to rectify it, yeah. because that's what a parent's support is. Yeah, I remember my mom. <laughs> smashing a plate over my head eh? and I'm just laughing at her and it just draw off even more was, uh, oh, I was, she was looking after the three of us I mean she's got a lot of gray hairs from us but uh, I talk to her every day and I'm there for anytime she needs me and uh, we've got a really good relationship yeah well so, I have three ADD people in my family I had two okay. children and a husband with ADD and I had another child with learning disabilities due to ill health and I remember a doctor saying to me, you have MO. And I said, what's that? Mother overload. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, for sure. And with three ADDs I... in the house, believe me. Holy. <laughs> you know. You need to raise them in a hospital. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> They're coming to take me away, haha. Yeah, exactly. Uh, it was oh. aspirating because I could never get their attention for more than two minutes. I got everything you just said to them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like I'm talking to your friend Bill the other day, and I'm I'm going, hey, sorry, Bill, you might. I'm listening to you, but my mind's compounding ten different thoughts and, right. and uh, projects already. He's laughing, going, oh, I know, I could see it. <laughs> you know, you just, your mind wanders so much. It's hard to pay attention. Yes. You know, unless it's something you want to do. Yeah. You know. Exactly. And that's, the, I remember saying to my one teacher of my son, I said, I think my ch- child has learning disabilities. And this is before I found out about the ADD. And he said, no, he has selective. And I said, what does that mean? When he wants to do something... He is full 150% in that, and he will do it to perfection. If he's not interested, forget it. You could be talking Japanese to him. He's simply not hearing you. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> and, yeah. And I think that's, you know, but that's, it, it, to a great extent, that's human nature. You know, this is why, you know, I, I'm less about teaching people as to inspiring them. 
As you know, I speak to Diva all the time, people living in their dreams and inspirations and visions and aspiring to life. And you know, we need a dream because if we don't, we're living for. We need to inspire and be inspired. We need to be able to see the picture, to visualize what we can make happen. And we also need to aspire to accomplish it. And if we, without those things, what are we living for? We just become, you know, the living dead. And it's so very important to have these things. And I think instead of teaching people, inspiring people to see themselves and want to make those changes within themselves. And you've shared your how, which you do in your book. You go through everything you went through and you're sharing your how and how it did not serve you. How you were living in hell and how you were a prisoner to your life and lucky to get out of it. You know, that becomes an inspiration for a child to make diff choices. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, because I'm in recovery, right? Um, when I was first going to these meetings, and I'm looking around, and oh, man, what is this, a cult? Yeah. Right? I mean, I couldn't get into my truck and get out of there quick enough, right? So what did I do? Used again. When it, I've been in two treatment centers. The second one, I left Kamloops, and I, I went and picked pills up before I pulled in the driveway, you know? Uh-huh. Didn't know how to, they're telling me, you got to go to the meetings. So... Fall, I fell off the wagon a bit. And anyways, back to the meetings, you know, doing six of them a day for eight months. That's what I needed, and that's what works. Yes. So people out there that are listening, don't think you're too cool and too tough. Because if you read that, you you know, I was I can handle myself quite well. You think I'm pretty tough to get through all of that? But I was on my knees. I couldn't do that on my own. There's no way. But going to those meetings and listening to everybody's story and how everybody came up and introduced themselves. I mean, there was a quarter on the ground. One guy picked it up and went and put it in the basket. He didn't put his pocket. But yeah. That's what happened out in the street. Yeah. That's when I said, you know what? This is probably where I need to be after watching that. Yes. So I listened and listened and kept going and kept going. Then I slowly got up there and started telling my story and so forth. But... The, the people that haven't been down that road, they look at us, uh, oh, you people in recovery are the worst. Yeah. Well, no, we're not. We're the best, <laughs> you know. Because you're like, in recovery. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, we've already, we've learned right from wrong. Just because we're trying to look like we're saving the world, uh, that's, we're doing the right thing. They're the ones that got it wrong. We're not the ones that are, that are terrible. You, you know what I'm yeah. trying to say? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you know. Yeah. But, you know, there isn't it. anybody. In life, whether, you know, this path that you've chosen or any path, we are um, a victim of our beliefs. And very often those beliefs are passed down to us or environmental or conditioned on us through school, church, environment. And we need to look at those beliefs in life and decide, are they our own? Do they serve us? And if you are going to delete those beliefs and redirect them, you need to put new beliefs in their place that are affirming your aspirations in life and it takes dedication to it it isn't i say it once and it's done you have to say it over and over again and practice until that belief completely takes hold and erases the old belief there there isn't there are so many people out there with issues and they may not have taken down the drug road or gone down the same path but they're still victims of their lives because they're refusing to face those beliefs that aren't serving them that are making them a prisoner in their own lives. Well, exactly. And, you know, people that drink or do drugs, there's, there's a reason for it. Or over-sex or over yeah. shop. Or, yeah. you know, anything you do in excess, it generally means there's something wrong. Well, that's right. <laughs> 
So that should be a green light to, hey, maybe I should go talk to somebody about this. Because, uh-huh. you know, if I'm drinking every single night or, you know, I'm just, uh, you go to the bar and over dinner, you're just going to pound two doubles right away. I mean, people that, that go out and nobody once a week. I don't know if I'd call them an alcoholic. They say you drink more than them once a month a yard or whatever it yeah. is, but if you're doing it every day, uh, there, there's a reason why you're doing it. Just like it's, I was it's when you need it. Crazy. You know, when it's I need it. The moment you yeah. need something, then you know that that something's got its claws into you, and you need to look That's at right. what is it subsidizing because that need is is subsidizing something else. So you mm. know, I mean, you you've got people that become fitness junkies. You know, an yes. addict an addict very often will go to the other extreme. They will mm-hmm. go from being, you know, living life completely unhealthily to over health and be, you know, becoming um, an extremist on that side. The life is quite simple. It's and hard to do because it's about finding a balance. A nice mm-hmm. equilibrium and a nice balance. Well, I think a lot of people like, there's there's programs out there but they just don't reach out and grab them. Yeah, you know they'll just—they uh, know there's an issue. Oh, well, they'll just hold inside and deal with it. Well, I did my whole life, and it was just a mess. So, pick up the phone and make a call. Go to a go to the addiction place uh, if you're drinking too much, or, or maybe you're. People know that if they're messed up, they just don't want to admit it. They know they're all messed up in drugs and booze, but they're in denial and don't don't. Well, admit. why is that? And that's because they're afraid of judgment. Yeah. You know, they're afraid of, and people are so judgmental. And the faster the judgment of the people, the bigger the ignorance. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, don't be so ignorant because um, there isn't a person out there that can't have a conversation with their mirror that isn't avoiding something. Um, and life is work. You know, to live an abundant life, we have to earn it. And we have to walk mm-hmm. that path and, you know, get rid of what is not serving us and embrace what is. And it, and it is work. There's no quick download app for it. There is no quick pill for it. There's no quick drink for it. There's no quick drug for it. It is work. And if you're willing to do the work and get into that life of, of truly understanding why you're here and living in your con, opening up your spirit, you know, letting that purpose come and hit you, now you really understand the beauty of life and really what it stands for. And it's the simple things, isn't it? The simple things. Yeah, for sure. Would you please tell everybody how they can buy your book, Lessons, uh, where they can buy it, how they can get hold of you if you have a site, um, and also how they can be a part of the um, the catchy um, um, saving that as well. Uh, yeah, there's uh, when people ask me where to get your book, because I didn't write it for the money. I wrote it because I felt it was something that I had to do. So as much torture as it was, because you know I wasn't good in school and not good on the computer. I typed it with two fingers. <laughs> I finished it. So I tell people you can get it at the library. I know Pitt Middles Maple Ridge has it in their library. Uh, I don't know about any other library, but Burnaby or Poco or whatever, you just phone your library. They can order it in. You can do it that way or all the Black Bond books stores in the Lower Mainland, North Van, Vancouver, Surrey, and Maple Ridge here. I think there's 10 stores. Or just Google uh, Lessons, Scott Magri, and uh, it's now it's getting in distributors' hands all over the world, in China and in India and Italy, so you can just go online, order from Amazon, or pick and choose wherever you want to order it from. 
Excellent. And, you know, this is this I'm glad you're getting into the school system because this is what starts. Uh, and this is where it's needed, you know, for, for people to actually understand um, avoidance is better than cure. <laughs> you know, uh, well, you know yeah. don't start something you're only going to have to give up. So, you know, don't there are, you know, life can be difficult sometimes um, if we choose that path, but it doesn't have to be if we choose a different path. And, you know, it's you've gone and lived that life for them. They don't have to go and live it for themselves. That's right. And I think uh, when I talked to the lady today, I'm, uh, you know, see where uh, she's coming from and what they what they want to do with me in the schools. But I think it would be better if I just did it a classroom at a time rather than a whole assembly. Um, yes, I that agree. way, yeah. I mean, I got that void get right to them, so I'd rather do it in a small room so they're all paying attention rather than do a big gymnasium. But it also but we'll opens it. up to questions which they feel more likely to do in an intimate setting than a great big huge one, you know, so I agree yeah, with exactly. you Yeah, exactly, yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah. So uh, it might work out better that way, and we'll try it and uh, see what happens. And do you have a Facebook? You don't have a site, but you have a Facebook. Is it under Scott Magri or is it under Lessons? Uh, no, it's under Scott Magri, M-A-G-R-I, and uh, i got a likes page, so all the book and the slew and everything that I've been doing is on that, on that uh, Facebook page. And, you know, it's a a lesson to everybody to find something that meaning is meaningful for you. You know, um, first and foremost, you have to decide to walk away from a life, don't you? And that was, you know, the first and the most important step you ever did. Yeah. Um, The the RCP surrounding the house was a wake-up call. There was one, um, the three suicide attempts that I had in that house, all compounded into thinking this isn't right. This isn't... There's another reason because I would have been gone already. And uh, you know, when I, I like the outdoors. Um, I want to be able to retire up country on a river somewhere. That's what I want. Because I'm mm-hmm. tired. I just want to rest and have some fun chop firewood. Go get a dog at SBCA because it's in prison and it didn't do anything wrong the first right, place. Right, exactly. You know, and enjoy life. Go get my own Christmas tree. If I meet that girl with her two two small kids, you know, I'm not looking for a girl with older kids. Just because I missed out on raising them, you know, yeah. I f- feel I I failed somewhat there, right? So uh, that's that's what I'm going to look for. Well, I'm not uh, going to dive right into it if it comes. In. You know, I'll, I'll step by step, decision. right? That's the whole thing. Is um, you know, transition and recovery is a step by step. And when you slow everything right down and you get out there and could actually smell the roses you know pay attention to the rustle of the leaves and you know allow the sun to kiss your brow you know you start realizing it's the small things in life that really are the true pleasures and the more and more you enjoy that the more and more it helps you on your path well yes and uh, like when october comes around i where i work there's cottonwood trees well there isn't now they took them all out but uh you know, when I was clean, I could smell the air and yeah. you could hear the birds tell clearer they were, eh? And you didn't even pay attention all that when you're all messed up, yeah. eh? And I even went to the tree and I took the pods off the, the cottonwood and, uh, and I'm rubbing it in my hands just to smell it because it smells good. I don't uh, have hay fever, so it didn't bother me or allergies. But yeah, it's it's weird and it's raining and you're looking at the raindrops in the puddle and how yes. they make the little waves and... How clouds form and stuff, all that stuff, you're just oblivious to it all. 
Yeah, when and, you're all and messed simple up. things, simple things. And, you know, really, life is very simple. We're the ones that complicate everything. There's a lot we can learn from the animals and from nature. And, you know, when we learn to actually understand what the true abundance and the true value of life is, we realize how rich we really are. Mm-hmm, so. Exactly. Yeah. Well, Scott, thank you for your candor. Thank you for being brave enough to put this in a book and, you know, and, and not sugarcoat it. You know, you've, you've been very candid of all the things that you've done. And bravo to you for your courage to walk away. And, but not just walk away and hide, but walk away and stand up for it and say, you know, you don't have to take the journey I took. Uh, for as rich as I was, I was the poorest person in town. And, yeah. you know, and living in your richness now. And, you know, the amount of people that you're going to help. Thank you. Thank you very much. You're for welcome. This. My pleasure. Well, folks, you know, lessons in life come to us in all sorts of ways, and we don't have to always live them the hard way. We can learn from other people's journeys. This is a book, I think, that needs to get out there and be read amongst teenagers, but be read with parents, because teenagers don't go and take this road straight off without there being something going on. So, yes, it's hard making a living and raising kids, but please, it's not about you know their ball game or or um, the next car or a bigger house it's about how much love and value are you putting into your family because that's really where it lies so please read the book lessons crime games and pain by scott magri and get out there and make a difference in life scott will be back and we will be going doing a show on bullying and how that was the real start of it all until next time everyone please raise your consciousness and be kind to yourself